Hello and welcome to Stories of Strangeness. I'm Zoe and this is Mike. Hello there. So creepy. <laughs> and this week is a Mike episode, so we're just going to jump straight on in. It is. I'd like you to imagine a dense forest. Yes. Thick undergrowth and foliage makes it difficult to push your way through. The ground is treacherous with tangled roots. Above you, the canopy stretches on as far as you can see. The air is hot and humid. The silence is punctuated by strange calls from unknown creatures. You've come to this spot as an explorer, looking to catch a glimpse of the strange, hairy, man-like creature that is said to live here. No, not me. <laughs> I was going to say, is it you? <laughs> the locals tell tales of it. A huge, lumbering beast larger than any human that stalks the area. You come across a set of footprints in the soft earth, noting that the feet resemble human prints in some ways, but they are definitely not human. Suddenly, you catch a shadow moving out of the corner of your eye. Whirling around, you see the creature for yourself. Your eyes widen and your jaw goes slack as you come face to face with the beast itself. Huge and covered with thick fur apart from its face, hands and feet. Its face is simian, but the eyes that stare at you have an intelligence behind them. It draws itself up to its full height and you realise how massive this creature really is as it bares its teeth and pounds fists like clubs on its broad chest, the drumming matching your racing heartbeat. Around the turn of the previous century, this exact encounter was experienced by a German explorer called Captain Robert von Beringer as he trekked around the rainforests in the Virunga Mountains, a range of volcanic peaks that straddle Rwanda, Uganda and the Democratic Republic of Congo. After hearing tales of a semi-mythical man-like creature, Captain Beringer finally stumbled across a group of them. Mountain gorillas. Why am I telling you about the discovery of mountain gorillas? Well, today's episode is on one of the most famous cryptids ever. Bigfoot, or the Sasquatch. A large, man-like cryptid thought to inhabit the heavily forested areas of Northern California, as well as the Pacific Northwest and other areas. If the mountain gorilla, a large, man-like creature that lived in isolated seclusion, could have been thought to have been the stuff of folklore and legend before its discovery in 1902, could eight-foot-tall simians be living out of human sight in the wilds of America? Well, respected chimpanzee and ape expert Dr. Jane Goodall said that she was sure that they existed based on her experience with First Nation tribes people, all of whom described the same sounds, she says, and two who had seen them. The word Sasquatch is derived from the Halkamelem word Sasquets, or Sesquak, meaning wild man of the woods. The anglicisation is generally attributed to an Indian agent, J.W. Burns, who was a teacher at Chahalis Indian School on Harrison River, where apparently Sasquatch sightings were common. Burns collected tales of the creatures from the Stasalis locals, who maintain that the creatures are real, and published them in a series of Canadian newspaper articles. The term Bigfoot was first popularised from a Wyandot chief who had the nickname. Later, Chief Spotted Elk was also given the moniker. It was also a common nickname for particularly large and aggressive grizzlies, especially if they were known for poaching livestock or attacking humans. 
Records show at least two grizzly bears, one of which was killed near Fresno in 1895, whose weight was estimated at 2,000 pounds, which is just under 143 stone, with the nickname. The term Bigfoot used in its current sense wasn't in use until 1958, when Jerry Crew, a California tractor operator, found a series of huge muddy footprints in Six Rivers National Forest, after which the term became synonymous with the legendary cryptids. There are other ape-like hominid stories from all over the world, including the Tibetan Yeti, the Chinese Yaren, the Australian Yowie, the Siberian Chuchunya, the Indonesian Orang Pendek, and more. In fact, many cultures worldwide have mythology surrounding a wild man of the woods, although the Bigfoot is typically known as a North American phenomena, with most sightings coming from the Pacific Northwest and Northern California. First Nations people have a lot of lore and experience of these elusive hominids. The Lummi people tell stories about the Tsemequis, with the appearance of the creatures being described similarly in most tales, whereas behaviours and diet ascribed might vary from family to family in the tellings. Tales of the Stia, or Kwi were a nocturnal variant, and children were warned not to speak the names lest the monsters hear and come and abduct people, who were sometimes killed according to the law. Some native tribes are said to have a good relationship with the creatures, although others, like the Miwoks, consider it to be akin to an ogre and best left alone. The Yokut tribe drew pictographs centuries ago in California that show the Mayak Datat, a family of giant creatures with long shaggy hair that resembles the modern vision of Bigfoot. Outside of tribal law, many miners, prospectors, trappers and woodsmen over the years have claimed to have encountered the ape men, who are mostly described as large, hairy and giving off a foul stench. In 1924, a group of prospectors claimed that they were attacked by a group of eight men and hunkered down in a cabin. Generally, Bigfoot is not known for violent confrontations. Later, it turned out that one of the prospectors had taken pot shots at the creatures earlier in the day with a rifle, so the attacks were not unprovoked. Theories about Bigfoot's origins range from the entirely possible, a lost species of hominid that may have diverged from ancestors of Homo sapiens, possibly Gigantopithecus, and made their way over from Siberia over the Bering Strait when it was still a land bridge. To the improbable, an alien creature, a theory that stems from the unusually high number of Bigfoot sightings that are accompanied by a UAP sighting also. To the unlikely, Bigfoot is a spiritual rather than material creature which could account for often reported sudden disappearances, including tracks that seem to end suddenly and draws parallels with First Nation beliefs, including the Lakota, Dakota and Ojibwe tribes, who see the creature as a spirit guide, messenger and harbinger, whose appearance can be a sign that there is a need to change or cleanse. Dakota believe that they exist in a different dimension from us, but can appear in this dimension whenever they have a reason to. In the summer of 1967, two men managed to capture on film some of the most compelling cryptid evidence ever to be committed to celluloid. Roger Patterson and Robert Bob Gimlin were filming in Bluff Creek, California for a proposed Bigfoot documentary that Patterson wanted to make after becoming interested in the phenomena after reading an article in True magazine in 1959. 
Roger harboured a desire to be the first to prove the creature existed, and also for the fame and wealth that such a find might bring. In 1962, Patterson visited Bluff Creek and spoke with believers. He returned to the area in 1964 meeting timber cruiser Pat Graves, who drove Patterson to Laird Meadows where they saw fresh tracks. Patterson spent countless hours scouring the territory for evidence that would prove the creature's existence and even suffered financial hardships as a result of his hobby turned obsession. He even set up the Northwest Research Foundation which he used to solicit donations to fund his expeditions. In 1966, he self-published his book, Do Abominable Snowmen of America Really Exist? which was characterised as little more than a collection of newspaper clippings laced together with Patterson's circus poster-style prose. The docudrama began filming in 1967, with the story revolving around cowboys being led by an old miner and a wise First Nations tracker on a hunt for the elusive creature. Bob Gimlin, who is part Apache, was to play the part of the tracker. On October the 20th, 1967, the two men rode northeast into the creek area. Roger in front and Bob bringing up the rear. Patterson had their rented 16mm Cine Kodak film camera in a saddlebag and had been capturing shots of the area. Their horses saw the creature first, with Patterson's Steve rearing, followed by Gimlin's. Patterson reached for the camera and shot 23.85 feet of film, comprising of 954 frames that run for 59.5 seconds at 16 frames per second or 53 seconds at 18 frames per second. More on this in a moment. The film appears to show a female Sasquatch, identified by her breasts and covered in black or dark reddish-brown hair apart from hands, feet and face. Patty, as she is known, has a loping, easy gait with swinging arms and walks upright and is estimated to be about 6 foot 6 to 7 foot 6 by Patterson and 6 feet by Gimlin. One of the first issues analysts have with the work of deciphering the film is that it is not known what frame rate the film was shot at. The camera had a continuously variable dial for the frame rate rather than a click-stop system, meaning that the frame rate could slip. Patterson stated that he normally filmed at 24 frames per second, but in his haste to get the footage did not notice what the dial was set to. After the fact, Patterson saw that it was set to 18 frames per second, but even that is contested by analysts. Why does this matter? John Napier, a primatologist, claimed that if the movie was shot at 24 frames per second, then the creature's walk cannot be distinguished from a normal human walk. If it was filmed at 16 or 18 frames per second, there are a number of important respects in which it is quite unlike a man's gait. Grover Krantz, the celebrated Bigfoot champion and anthropologist, referred to analysis by Igor Bortsev that took the known quantity of Patterson's height, listed as 5 foot 2 or 5 foot 3, and calculated his pace, which was then synchronised with the regular bounces in the initial part of the film caused by Patterson hot-footing it to catch up with the creature. Krantz argued that 24 frames per second can quickly be dismissed and that 16 frames per second can be ruled out also, leaving 18 frames per second as the likely frame rate it was filmed at. This was borne out by René de Hinden, who noted that 
the footage of the horses prior to the Bigfoot film looks jerky and unnatural when projected at 24 frames per second. De Hinden also had volunteers walk the path of the creature at the actual site and concluded that none of us could walk that distance in 40 seconds, so I eliminated 24 frames per second. The calculation used was 952 frames divided by 24 frames per second giving 39.6 seconds. The K100 camera has also been found to run at 18 frames per second even when it is set to 16 frames per second on the dial, and that the dial actually comprised of markers for 16, 24, 32, 48 and 64 frames per second. There is no marker for 18 frames per second but it is theorised that Patterson simply misread 16 for 18. Some of the other analysis has been to do with Patty herself. Both Patterson and Gimlin maintained that Patty was real and not a hoax. Patterson still sticking to his story up until his death in 1972. Gimlin has stated in an interview with Chris Packham for the BBC that he was convinced no one could fool him, but admits it's possible it might have been a hoax although he says that if it was, it would have to have been meticulously planned by Patterson. The obvious answer is that it's a man in a suit, and indeed a man called Bob Hieronymus came forward and claimed that he was the man in the patty suit. Bob's mother and nephew claimed to have seen an ape suit in his car two days after the film was shot, and further corroborated by Bernard Hammermeister, who apparently saw an ape suit in Hieronymus's car. In 2002, Philip Morris, owner of Morris Costumes, claimed he made the costume. He claimed he had not come forward earlier as giving away a performer's secrets could harm his reputation and business. Morris claims he sold the suit to Patterson via mail order in 1967, but has not provided any bill of sale to date. In addition, there are many inconsistencies between Hieronymus's and Morris's stories. Morris claims he made a one-piece Dynell synthetic suit with a zip up the back, with hands and feet as separate pieces. Hieronymus claims a horsehide suit with two pieces like a top that he donned like a t-shirt and trousers, with the hands and feet being attached to the respective pieces. Dale Sheets, head of the documentary film department at Universal Studios, claimed the film would be almost impossible to fake due to the observable muscle movement seemingly under the skin of the creature, as well as having to find an actor who could be trained to walk like that. Ken Peterson, Disney executive, said that their technicians would not be able to duplicate the film. In 1972, Disney's chief of animation along with four assistants were shown the film. They praised it as a beautiful piece of work, but that it must have been shot in a studio. When told it was shot outside in the woods of Northern California, they shook their heads and walked away. Other analysts, including primatologists, anthropologists and others, point to various features that can be seen in the film, such as the gait, which would be difficult for a human to match both speed, stride length and other characteristics. The muscles, as mentioned previously, and other anatomical landmarks, which include her breasts, which swing and bob naturally. The trapezius can be seen, as well as the deltoid, erector spine muscles down her back, shoulder blades moving under the skin, the quads contracting in the leg, and many more. Simulated musculature is extremely difficult in a costume. Just look at the film Planet of the Apes, which was released in 1968, 
a year after the Patterson-Gimlin film and won the Best Makeup Oscar. Jeffrey Meldrum, professor of anatomy and anthropology at Idaho State University says, it's all too easy to say obviously that's a man in a fursuit until you see it against a man in a fursuit. For a suit to be able to show muscles sliding around means it must have been skin tight with the hair attached on, or more likely sewn into it by hand. Even with the invention of spandex or lycra here in the UK in 1958, a costume like this would still be a tall order today. Analysis from the film shows that Patty has a short knee to ankle length along the shin bone, similar to gorillas. Bob Hieronymus's measurement of the same area shows a normal human ratio. Costumes can be made to make the wearer appear taller, such as with stilts, which can make the knee ankle length appear longer, but it is physically impossible to make that distance shorter. The human knee just cannot slide down the leg. Footprint casts from around the world show another interesting characteristic that is correspondingly borne out in the PGF, the Patterson-Gimlin film. Namely that the foot shows a great deal of flexibility mid-foot. Cliff Barackman, host of Animal Planet's show Finding Bigfoot and owner of one of the largest Bigfoot print collections in the world, says that there are a few frames where we see Patty take her heel off the ground but yet keep the entire forefoot in touch with the ground. This midpoint elasticity also showed up in the prints that were found and photographed and later cast along with the film showing a distinctive pressure ridge that comes about as a result of this flexibility mid-foot. Jeffrey Meldrum has noted this feature in print castings from both the US and China across several decades. Other refutations of the PGF look at Patterson and his motivations. Patterson had cancer of the lymph nodes during his excursions to Bluff Creek and professed a desire to capture footage of a Bigfoot so that he could make some money. Patterson was often broke and even had a warrant put out for his arrest after keeping the K100 camera longer than the lease agreement stipulated. There's also the question of how the film got printed. Patterson wanted to get the film out as soon as possible in order to make money from showing it, possibly to fund more excursions to the area. Patterson gave the film to Al Diatli to get it printed. Diatli, Patterson's brother-in-law, claims he can't remember where he got the film developed or where he picked it up. Why is this important? Well, in the official timeline, the film got developed over the weekend, but Kodak Kodachrome 2 film could only be processed in labs with a special machine that cost over $60,000, and none of the few West Coast labs with one developed over the weekends. The film caused a rift between Patterson and Gimlin. Bob Gimlin felt that he had been cut out of his share of the profits from the film, which Diatli did share in as a promoter. Diatli valued the profits from the film at $150,000. Patterson appeared on talk shows and on the radio to help promote the film, whereas Gimlin only helped promote the film early on before swearing off talking about Bigfoot for many years. He even sold his rights to the film for less than $10. The two men didn't speak for many years as a result. They eventually made up as Patterson lay on his deathbed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Patterson apologised for ousting Gimlin, saying that when he recovered they would go back and catch Bigfoot. Patterson died the next day, aged 38. Gimlin was left to deal with smart Alec comments regarding the film, some even directed at his wife Judy while she was at work, which almost caused the couple to split more than once. 
Bob had been a rodeo rider, amongst many other things in his life, and was known for his fearlessness, getting onto horseback in casts for broken limbs from a previous fall. Suddenly, his integrity was in doubt. People would drive by his house and even onto his driveway yelling, Bob, we want to go out Bigfoot hunting at all hours of the night before speeding off. If Bob said he'd seen Bigfoot, people thought he was crazy. If he said nothing, people assumed he was lying and a hoaxer. By 1968, the Gimlins had decided not to speak about the subject ever again. But Bob eventually appeared at a convention in 2003. At the convention, Bob spoke and was greeted by rapt attention and a standing ovation, causing Gimlin to wonder why he'd gone through 35 years of ridicule. The fact that Gimlin has barely profited from the film and faced public bash-clash while still maintaining his original story and belief in what he saw is a testament to his conviction that he saw Bigfoot. Reasons for the existence of Sasquatch Large ground nests have been discovered in the Pacific Northwest, up to 10 feet across and 4 feet high, that resemble gorilla nests much more than bear or deer nests. They are elaborately constructed, often containing branches that would be hard for a human to snap. Some of the captured footprints that haven't been debunked have shown things like dermal ridges, the small skin patterns that create our fingerprints and footprints, and some have shown ridges that flow along the skin in non-human ways. Grover Krantz was turned from skeptic to believer by the so-called cripplefoot plaster casts of footprints gathered at Bossburg, Washington in 1969. He said of the casts, The design of foot that's implied by the crippling was exactly what you would expect of a creature about eight feet tall and enormously heavy, adding, If somebody faked that and put all these subtle hints of the anatomy design in that, he had to be a real genius, expert at anatomy, and very inventive and original thinking. Grover sent the impressions to a renowned fingerprint expert, John Berry, editor of the journal Fingerprint World, that the prints were probably real. Despite years of research by both special effects professionals, including Bill Munns, who said that the fold at the armpit shows a natural concave skin fold instead of an artificial vertical crease, Rick Baker, who worked on Harry and the Hendersons, John Chambers, creator of the flexible masks used in Planet of the Apes, who denied creating a suit for the PGF, saying, I'm good, but I'm not that good. <laughs> Janos Prohaska, who worked on Star Trek and Lost in Space in the 60s, who said he thought the film looked very real and that the only plausible explanation was that someone might have glued false hair directly onto an actor's skin. This is as well as various scientists, and the fact that the PGF has still not been officially debunked. No one has ever managed to spot a zip or any other dead giveaway that it's a costume. Stories of the creatures have been around for hundreds of years with scores of eyewitness testimony, much of which cannot be simply discounted out of hand. The PGF. It is still the most believable footage shot of a cryptid, showing anomalies in gait, anatomical features such as a sagittal crest, and it has, to this day, not been officially debunked. Reasons against No physical evidence outside of footprint casts, many of which have been proven to be fakes and hoaxes. No scat, no verified nests, no carcasses have ever been found. None have ever been accidentally hit by a car or killed by a hunter. 
almost all hair samples have turned out to be from other animals, including bears, dogs or wolves, horses, cows, raccoons, a porcupine, and human hair. One famous case in 1976 involved the FBI analysing a hair sample given to them by Peter Byrne, the then director of the Bigfoot Information Centre and Exhibition in the Dallas, Oregon. It turned out to be from a deer. Almost all the photographic and video evidence is blurry or out of focus, or the subject is far away, making it difficult to verify. Many of the alleged footprint castings have been proven to be hoaxes, including those found by Jerry Cruz, which turned out to have been created by Ray Wallace, a member of Cruz's work squad and an inveterate prankster. His family broke the news after his death in 2002. Most of the evidence for is eyewitness accounts, which is known in psychology and legal circles as famously inaccurate at best. Memories have recently been shown to be adaptable over time. Although new species are discovered every year, most are insects and microorganisms. Speaking in a 2014 Seeker.com article, Benjamin Radford, deputy editor of Skeptical Inquirer magazine, states, The last large animal to be found was probably the giant panda. And that was a hundred years ago. So if you've enjoyed listening to us babble about random stuff, you might enjoy this podcast. Hey guys, this is Eric and Jessica Carrier, the hosts of the Prairieland Paranormal Podcast. If you're looking for a show that explores all things paranormal with dramatic storytelling, historical research, relevant science, and witness accounts, check out our show online at www.prairielandparanormalpodcast.com or through your favorite podcast player. What do you think? Okay, so I'm going to talk about the film first because I'm familiar with that. I've seen it many times. And as a costume maker, I look at that and say that no. No chance. There's no chance that's a costume. Just the... Like not even looking for things like zips and seams and things like yeah. that, just the quality of the fur and the shine on it, yeah, and and the movement. Looking at the quality of that you would have had then, mm. even if you could have made that as like a an all in one onesie, you then obviously have the the whole aspect of it, have the muscles and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. But still, you'd have to get in there somehow. Yep. You would have to get in there somehow. And there'd be a join somewhere yeah. or a zip or, or something. something. Now, as an interesting counterpoint, Stan Winston, who is the famous kind of creature designer for Hollywood yeah. from Stan Winston's workshop, who worked on Jurassic Park amongst other things. When he saw the film, he basically said, it's a guy in a bad suit and you could make that suit for under a thousand dollars today. And I, I disagree I'd say, off you go then. But also, 1967. This is what I mean. I mean... This was a long time. Like I say, Planet of the Apes came out in 1968, won the award for best makeup. Yeah. And those apes did not look anything like real. And, you know, all props to the guy who designed the masks, whose name I mentioned earlier. For their time, they were amazing special effects, but they weren't realistic. And I don't know, if you were trying to prove that something existed, it would need to be the best. 
which yeah, you'd think if you were doing a big Hollywood blockbuster, you would also do your best. It would yeah. be the best. So in theory, they should look very similar. Yeah. I mean, the, the two of the things that make me think that the film shows a living creature of some sort, whatever it is, the short knee to ankle length, yeah, which is more like a gorilla one. than a human. Yeah. Because that can't be faked. And the gate, which when it played at the correct frames per second, that thing covered a lot of ground very quickly. And people haven't been able to kind of copy it. Yeah. Although there are some people that say, yes, absolutely, you could do that. But, you know, it would take some kind of trained actor. But obviously, to, to if, move if it's taller way. as well, its stride is going to be a lot longer. Yeah. So it would cover ground a lot quicker. But it's the fact that you can see muscles moving. You can see anatomical landmarks. You can see the shoulder blades. You can see, you mm. know, the, the quad muscles in the leg contracting. That's really hard to do in a costume. Well, I mean, it's almost impossible because even if you had a skin-tight costume yeah. made of fur, the fur on it isn't going to react with your muscles well, because it kind of would, but not only, only slight, in the but same you, way. Only if you had the most toned muscles on this yeah. earth. Well, I think, and also um, it would have to be such a high quality of fur because it yeah. doesn't matter. Because the the fibers of the fur are attached to the base fabric, yeah. and then the fabric is tight. Yeah. So if the muscles ripple, yes, the fabric will move slightly, but you're not going to get that same because fur, it's like, you know, when you when you get a bit cold and your, yeah. your hair stands on end, those kind of movements, fur's not going to do that. But it's also things like, you know, this, this creature has a sagittal crest and that's uh, a, a kind of bony protrusion at the top of the skull yeah. that gorillas have. Yeah. And I think there are other primates that have it as well. But to even think of including a sagittal crest shows that if it was a hoax, it was done by somebody with a, an extensive a, a, a knowledge. knowledge of primate yes. anatomy. Yeah. And the fact that it's a female. Now, one of the criticisms was that she has hairy breasts, basically, and yeah. that chimpanzees and gorillas, females, don't have hair on their breasts. Right, okay. It's quite uncommon. But she's not a chimpanzee. Exactly. And she's not a gorilla. So, yeah. you know, maybe this is something. Maybe that's a, a point that says, actually, that's more realistic because. Yeah. But I think they're going for the kind of guy in a suit idea. If you got a, a bog standard party store gorilla suit, mm -hmm. it's just fur all over, isn't it? Well, no, they normally have a bare bit on the belly. Well, I don't know. The ones I've seen are just literally fur all over and they're terrible. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. The fact that she's observably female, just to sound really odd, but I think most guys wanting to capture a film of Bigfoot and hoaxing it would make Bigfoot male. I think, especially back then. Yeah. Okay, so we're going for like male privilege here. Yeah. But back in the 60s, yeah. I don't think it would have even crossed their mind to if they were going to fake it, to fake a female unless they were going to do a whole family and look there's like you know a male a female and some babies yeah which they never did they, they didn't do no anyone who imagines bigfoot imagines male generally yeah it's weird but then if you imagine mermaid yeah you immediately imagine female but then mermaid but yeah. whenever you talk about merfolk most people think female yeah which is interesting yeah so to have it female 
it was either a moment or, of complete brilliance in yeah. order to throw people off the scent or... Or real. Real. I'm reasonably convinced that the Patterson-Gimlin film shows whatever it shows. Yeah. And whatever that might be, because there was somebody that said in one of the things I was reading, what if it was a woman born with several congenital issues, deformities, whatever you want to call them, because you've, you know, there were the wolf children of Mexico that were there's many, many conditions in that, hair and things like that. You know, you know there's hyper hirsuteness and whatever else. And yeah, maybe it was some woman that's hidden herself away because of her deformities. Could I also suggest that it could still be male, even though it had boobs? Could they have been moobs? I know? mean, I suppose it's possible because again, we don't really know we don't, what we're dealing with. Exactly. But yeah. The, and the fact the that assumption they were... was that if it's a, a mammalian primate, the yeah, you know, breasts generally denote female. Yeah, but I mean, if it was a male getting on in years, maybe he'd been really fat and lost some weight. I suppose it's possible. And if they were hairy as well, yeah, then it kind of you know, like for ease and finding of nipples, generally boobs don't have hair on, so that. Yeah. Babies can find them. I mean, and even for suckling, because it's yeah. a lot less pleasant. But then I suppose you that. can, you know, even like like cats and that with their little, their little nipples in the hair. <laughs> well, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, I suppose that's true, isn't it? I mean, cats and dogs have, have nipples, nipples that are just in their hair. In hair. And it doesn't so. matter if they're male or female. No. They're all, the nipples are in the hair. But yeah, but kind of mammary glands as such is generally. Yeah. But also, okay, could it have been male with something wrong with it that gave it boobs? Yeah, possibly. Who knows? I kind of agree with the the thing of, you know, all the hair samples, none of them ever come back saying, well, it's definitely a Bigfoot because I guess we what don't if- have anything to compare it against. But it's generally the hair samples have come back as like other animals. What if Bigfoot are like poodles? In what way? They don't shed. Oh, right, okay. I thought you meant they're like getting their hair trimmed into odd shapes. And that's why people have to have their poodles trimmed, though, isn't it? Because they, they don't, don't shed. The hair doesn't fall out. I it did just, not know that. Did you not know that? No. That is why they created the Labradoodle. Because the Labradoodles don't shed because of the poodle gene. Yeah. They And then they use the Labradoodle for blind people so they don't shed hair everywhere because obviously the blind people can't yeah. see to tidy it up. So that's why they were created okay. as a kind of... Yeah, so Makes sense. poodles have to have their hair cut into stupid shapes because their hair doesn't stop growing. Right. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, bigger and bigger. Okay. That's why you see them sometimes that look like a big pom-pom. Yeah. But yeah, so what if they don't shed? Could be. Could be. Or that they are interdimensional beings that just pop here for a holiday just to screw with us. Yeah, absolutely. Because we've mentioned this before, haven't we? When, was it Skinwalker Ranch when we talked yeah, about them popping about, through? Yeah, like, about portals and things portals like that. Portals and yeah. things. And, and there, are, there have been an awful lot of UFO sightings. One in particular mentioned that they saw a craft descend Yeah. and two shorter aliens get out of it, meet a Bigfoot and wander off into the woods together but the Bigfoot seemed like it was subservient to them, like it was their not necessarily okay, slave. Okay, that sounds but, odd. Yeah. Do you mean but like the grays? idea is like that, the that, a- were the aliens 
I think there were supposed to, I don't remember exactly, but I think there were supposed to be like greys and basically the greys were ordering the Bigfoot to do okay, this, that and the other. That's slightly less on my kind Stretches of... credulity, yes. absolutely. But if we're talking about this stuff, we might as well mention it. Oh yeah, definitely. But I could be down with believing that there is some kind of Yeti Bigfoot Sasquatch out there because again, mm. and I'm going to go back to like the whole mermaid thing, this is something that's been spotted all over the world Yeah, with no reason to link for such a long time yeah and they've been in like native american law for literally centuries exactly and not only native american but like around the world they've been in in various kind of local folklores for a long long time and when at the beginning when you were talking about gorillas yeah i was like he's talking about gorillas i'm sure he's talking (laughs) about gorillas and then you said and they discovered mountain Mountain gorillas gorillas. but the the point was that it just shows they were thought to be myth yeah until they were discovered and and everybody went oh look a new subspecies of gorilla that's actually larger than the lowland gorillas yeah but has managed to remain elusive in the mountains all this time in uh, the varunga mountains so what's to say i mean you know i had a look at the area on kind of Google Earth yeah. of Bluff Creek. Yeah. That place is remote. Like it is in yeah. acres of forest. I think it's difficult for us in England to comprehend how big and remote parts of America are. Yeah. Because yeah. although we do have places that, you know, I, I mean, I say I grew up out in the middle of nowhere. I, I did not. Yeah. You know. You were probably no more than about, 20 miles from the nearest town at the most, were you? More like seven, ten. Yeah. You know, yeah. not that far. Although by standards here, I was in the middle of nowhere. You we were in the middle of fields. I've yeah, been to we the were, place. Yeah. But, but yeah. But for like... Some of these places are just huge. And one of the things that people say about them, about, well, we've never found a body. You find carcasses of bears every now and again, or, yeah. or you know, other animals out in the forest. But and you've n- we've never found one. If they're intelligent, do they not bury their dead? That or was have... exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. So you know, if they're intelligent enough to weave these massive nests, and I've seen photos of the nests in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, and they are weird. But they're then... like a almost like a lean-to kind of structure, but yeah. they're big. Yeah, and apparently bears when they make nests just strip the bark off a tree and lay down on it. Yeah. And that kind of thing. These look more like gorilla nests, which makes you Which are amazing. Going back to the whole death thing, there are elephant graveyards, aren't there? There are, yeah. So if I perceive elephants to be intelligent... um, I think they're one of the few creatures that have passed the mirror test where they recognise that it's a reflection and not another animal. Yeah. Yeah. Along with Um, ravens and a few others. But... You know, we still treat them like animals. These Sasquatch, they must be relatively intelligent to elude us for so long. Well, actually, it's interesting that you say that because in the Patterson-Gimlin film, it's obviously it's it's difficult to see because she was about 25 feet away or something, I think Roger Patterson said when he... That was the closest he got, was about 25 feet away. But they said that... I think Bob Gimlin was the one to mention it. He said that when she turned around in that famous... I think it's frame 354 or something like that, where it's it's the the typical kind of looking back at the camera pose. Bob Gimlin said that the look on her face was one of complete contempt and disgust. It was like, ugh, humans. Yeah. Kind of thing. Let's get out of here. Yeah. 
Now, one of the accounts I read basically said that that was a, a point for it being a person in a suit because the person in the suit, the way they explained it was that they would have to turn their whole top torso to look rather than just looking back over their shoulder. Yeah. So that, that meant it was more likely to be a person in the suit. But I've turned my torso to look at things as they've gone, like a cyclist going past me in if Cambridge or something. she's sleeping in a nest, she might have had a crick in her neck. Well, she wasn't sleeping in a nest. She was walking along the Bluff Creek. No, I mean... I know that, my love. Yeah. But like, if you've slept funny, yeah, yeah. You know, we've we've both had days where it's like, right, yep, can't yep, be moving. Yep. My heart, I've Just got to move. Just looking left hole. today. <laughs> yep, that's it. Hope nothing happens on the right of me. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, there's Bigfoot, and I can't turn. I can't, look. I'm gonna have to shuffle, shuffle. I'm gonna have to turn my whole body. Oh no. You know, it's that kind. She of needs thing. a heat pack. That's what she, she really needs. Does. To say they would have just turned their head. Yeah. Rubbish. If that's yeah, all you've got. Uh, yeah. That's, rubbish. It's an odd one. Because um, also if you're just, I mean, you've seen me sometimes I turn around and walk backwards for a little bit. You know, it's, it's easier than turning your head Seemingly all the way for no reason at all. <laughs> yeah. There's no explaining primate behaviour basically. Exactly. I think is what you're saying. I think that what I've not read about but has suddenly occurred to me is there's law all around the world about giants and in, trolls in most human cultures there's yeah. there's law about giants mm -hmm. and literally the precursor to modern humans that we split off from at some point and there was gigantolopithecus which kind of says it in the name and it makes me wonder if there's some link there large skeletons have been apparently found although i don't know the veracity of the claims to be honest but it just makes you think that possibly that was interlinked in some way maybe, maybe there is yeah. another kind of offshoot of the human branch that's gone a, a different way and is just living in fear of us because look at us we've just expanded and expanded and expanded and, and we're not exactly nice is, if you're not no we, you know. we walk along with sticks that produce fire and kill things no i mean to each other you well, know. yeah, but also, you know, well, into everything. who are the people most likely to come across Bigfoot? So a lot of the time it's going to be hunters. So, oh, yay. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's hunters and loggers for the most part. I mean, yeah. apparently North American loggers have just running jokes about Bigfoot and the fact that they will probably at some point in their career come across tracks. Wow. It's that common. So they're just blasé about the whole thing. Yeah. The footprint thing, though, I want to, let's go for like the whole yeah. footprint thing because... I love a good footprint, hate feet, but that they do intrigue me and yeah. disgust me in equal measure. Yeah. But yeah, you can tell a lot. You can about tell a huge amount. People have a, been convicted of crimes based on their footprint. Well, footprint, but it can tell you about, you can figure out injuries, all sorts of things, height, weight, etc., from a set of footprints. Yeah. And it's like you say, with the suit, it would have to be someone who had a lot of knowledge, but to make those footprints... It's not going to be someone with a footprint cut out, strapped onto the bottom of their shoes, jumping from muddy puddle to muddy puddle. No, although, although that I, has I, happened. I was going to say, yeah. although I'm sure that has happened. Yeah. But, I mean, having seen some of the pictures of those footprints and mm. seen how detailed and wrinkly-crinkly they are. Yeah. It, well, that's, that's yeah. the thing that gets me on some of the undebunked ones is the dermal ridges. Yeah, see, I've I've myself made footprints that are less convincing yeah. than those ones, and I'm sure. like, I know my feet are real. Yeah, but I mean, if you think like you would probably be making them out of either wood or 
I don't know, maybe cast rubber or something like that. In this, like if I was to do it now. Again, yeah, we're going back to 67. So wood would be an option, but to sit and carve all those dermal ridges, I'm not saying it's not impossible, but but it's dedication to a hoax. But you'd be able to tell it was wood because it would have to go straight down. You'd get no rock and and depth thingy because it would be flat and static, wouldn't it? You wouldn't have that curve and movement that a foot has when you... The pressure changes. Yeah, and uh, and one of the things mentioned was the fact that this yeah. midfoot elasticity is is a huge thing because there's a, an obvious push off ridge from yeah. where you know they tend to apparently walk with very flat feet. But Hello. when so they <laughs> they land with a flat foot rather than kind of heel toe like we do. Yeah, see that I don't well, do heel toe either. When or... I say we do, I don't include you in that because <laughs> flat yeah. foot fenner. Yeah. Yeah. But then, obviously, as they're rocking forward onto that foot, the the, the midpoint just bends upwards. And like the account well, says, yeah, there's there's frames in the film where you can see she takes her heel off the floor, but leaves her full forefoot on the ground, which is so odd. But it's yeah. it's not that far removed from us because of- we can go onto the balls of our feet on. Um, you know what you would class as tiptoes or whatever yeah but this showed a, a marked deviation from human norms at least yeah but yeah also the fact that a lot of them seem to be eight feet tall or you know between six and eight feet tall and judging by the the depth of the impressions in the mud and whatever else and very heavy there was one video that I saw recently. There's, I just want to give a quick little shout out actually to Thinker Thunker, Ooh. which is a YouTube channel almost entirely dedicated to Bigfoot sightings and that kind of thing. Cool. Think, there was one video. Thinker Thunker. Thinker Thunker. There'll be a link in the show notes. Cool. And there was one video on his channel that was fascinating, which was a fairly recent one, where some loggers in Northern California had been filming the tree line. And you can see something, you can't make it out at all. The quality is fairly terrible, especially yeah. when he zooms in to show you. But this thing picks up an aspen tree and throws it. This Holy is, cow. I mean, it's not a full tree. It's more than a sapling, but yeah. it's less than a full tree. But he kind of looks at it and does some basic calculations and says, okay, if this thing is eight feet tall, its torso will probably be about three feet. Yeah. So maps that out against the length of the tree and says, right, this tree is a conservative estimate, 12 foot long, right? Yeah. But this thing with one arm throws this tree. moly. And he actually includes a video of a caber toss as a comparison. Well, I was going to say, humans can do that kind of thing. but Not like this. But not, you know. I'll show you the video after and it is just insane. Yeah. So he does some basic calculations uh, about what he thinks the tree might weigh and his conservative estimate is about 50 pounds. Now, my dumbbells that I've got yeah. are 20. They're oh, 10 moly. each. So I'd need another three of those and then I would have to throw that weight with one arm and this nah. thing throws this tree and it arcs up and it must land a good nearly 20 feet away from it. The bottom of it probably reaches 12, 13 feet high. And the top of it, obviously, is another 12, 13 feet, roughly. And he's he's doing all these conservative estimates about what it would weigh and this kind of thing. Yeah. Based, uh, He literally uses a, a website that actually estimates the size of a log. You put in what tree it is, how yeah. long it is, and the diameter, and it figures out the weight of the log. Oh, wow. And it's full 
loggers yeah. and things like okay. that, but he yeah. uses well, it in that, that way. And it was just incredible. But um, even if you said, oh, the thing they saw in the tree line was only six foot tall and that yeah. makes the tree about 10 feet tall and reduces it all back, still, it's still it's a still 10 foot tree. That this thing launches with one Bling. hand. So not even body movement. So he gets a, a video of two guys lifting a, a roughly 50 pound weight yeah. and doing kind of almost a hammer toss with it. Yeah. And one of the guys just kind of does a, a, a backswing and a forswing and let's yeah. go. Yeah. And that goes a fair decent way. And the guy is, he's a big lad. Yeah. And then his mate comes on who's slightly smaller, but he does the hammer toss twirl and flings it. And with a 50 pound weight, these guys are getting it maybe five, six feet away from them. Okay. But also you have to take into account, it's not just the weight of something. No. It's how awkward it is to lift. Exactly. I mean, I have worked with a nine foot spear. Of course you have. Of course. Was that while you were a merchandiser for Marks and Spencers? Yes, to fight people (laughs) off on sale days. You're not allowed in yet. No, back in my reenactment days and a nine foot spear. Yeah. And I mean, the shaft, it was basically like an extra long broom handle. But probably a bit thicker than a Only a little bit thicker. Yeah. Because you want it to be quite whippy. Yeah, I suppose. Um, But at nine foot. It's awkward to move because it's not, I mean, it was really light, but the wind resistance to actually move it backwards and forwards, not the weight, just the, was ridiculous. Yeah. So for a tree that's going to be thicker than like, you know, a couple of inches across. I mean, this thing looked like, the tree looked roughly like a a kind of average silver birch size. Holy moly. I don't know. Six inches across. Good, good, Good hand span. I'd seven say maybe inches. Eight, eight to ten inches across, maybe something You've got a big like hand. The you know, average hand is about seven to eight inches. Okay. So something along those sort of lines yeah. across, as a diameter. Madness. But it just flings it. But yeah, there's some there's some fascinating stuff out there. Thanks. You're welcome. Yeah, that was really interesting. I'm not sure. I didn't know all of that stuff. Yeah. I think every. I say everybody must have seen the video at some point. Well, the, yeah, but, there are stabilised versions as well now yeah. that you can find online. But, yeah, I think I've always just kind of just assumed it was real, you know? See, I, I think know. I always assumed when I first saw it kind of early on that it was a guy in a suit, and I was like, mm, maybe it's not, but it probably is. But the deeper you delve into it, the more you think, I don't know, I don't know. It's it's had a lot of, I mean, the, don't get me wrong, there's been a lot of scientists won't touch it with a barge pole. But because that but that makes me think then if they won't touch it with a barge pole, there must be a reason. It's because they can't prove it isn't real. It's more that they don't want to tarnish their reputation by talking about Bigfoot. Yeah. It's basically are, So again, it's the same with like yeah, spontaneous human combustion exactly. where they didn't want to actually went, Oh goodness, if I say anything to do with that, it doesn't matter what I say, I'm just gonna be ridiculed. Exactly. Like that you would even contemplate thinking about it. Can you imagine trying to apply for funding for a Bigfoot research? project you just you wouldn't get it and that's why yeah there hasn't been the proper rigorous scientific research of these fields or the lizard alien people that are in charge of the world yeah. are like no we don't want you to know that bigfoot is real because you mm. will find proof because that's the next step into finding out that we're real so one of the theories <laughs> around the fact that they're spirit beings, and this yeah. goes into First Nations law as well, yeah. is that they have psychic powers 
they can tell when you're approaching and avoid you that way. So that's how they stay elusive. To be fair, as humans, you don't necessarily need to be psychic to hear us approach because we're not the most we're not uh, the most stealthy, subtle of beings ourselves. We're not subtle, in fact, because actually, you know, one of the main ways we used to hunt was a thing called pursuit predation, which is amazing because what we would do is this the beating line. No. No. So what we would do, humans are very good at running long distances and walking long distances without getting tired. Like some other animals can run way faster than us, but not for very long. So the animal runs away. We pick up, walk off. It follows. It follows. It's we Terminator. Are, it follows, basically. Yeah, we are, yeah, we Terminator. are Terminator Cop. We literally yeah, yeah. just follow the animal until it dies of exhaustion. And that's a tactic that's actually used quite a lot in nature. But mostly but, by but, humans. But, but mostly because <laughs> we're just like, oh, just carry, just carry So, yeah, I mean, if, if Bigfoot is a, or Sasquatches are spiritual creatures that can either portal in and out or change dimensions or whatever it's probably to avoid us just pursuing them until they get so tired they have to sit down and then we're like, ha-ha, got you. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> I don't know. No, it's, it's, uh, I think, I think it's interesting. One it's- of the things, that again, that really got me was the fact that Dr. Jane Goodall said she was almost sure that they, that they exist. Some large undiscovered primate exists in yeah, the world. Yeah, see, that's, that's... Well, you know what it is, love. What? It's a land manatee. A land manatee. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, and I sent you the thing saying that manatees are no longer endangered. Yay! Yay! So if you listen to our episode on mermaids, you should be happy about that, hopefully. I think you should just be happy about it in general. Yeah. Because it's another species that, you know, has fought yeah. back. You don't have to listen to us to appreciate a manatee, but it helps. Oh, the manatee. <laughs> the huge manatee. <laughs> huge manatee. That was good, love. Thank you. We have a new review. <gasps> Do we? Do you want to read it out? Yeah. Good. It says, Sounds of Greatness, Ooh. five stars. If you find yourself attracted to darker or spooky things, you'll love this. The lovely voices of Zoe and Mike will take you through the fantastical, <laughs> delivered with a real love for the subjects and a critical eye. Wonderful stuff. That's by Paulieboy23. Thank you very much, Paulieboy23. Thank you. I like we've got one critical eye between the two of us. Yeah, I, it's, wanna... it's, it's mine this week and then you can have it next week. Okay. Yeah. Do I get to wear a pirate patch? Sure. But it's got to look like the one from The Bride in Kill Bill. <gasps> Not The Bride. The the, the whistling Daryl Hannah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Who else have we got to thank this week? Well, we have a very special thank you this week because we have our first Patreon subscriber. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That is our friend Laura, who has decided to subscribe to Patreon. And we have already recorded a small minisode for your listening pleasure. And we will be putting up outtakes and other bits of goodness to our Patreon. So you can laugh at us some more. Yeah, absolutely. So everybody who's not Laura, if you'd like to sign up to our Patreon, you can find a link in the show notes and we will be posting minisodes based on stories of our own experience, little short episodes, and also 
like I say, outtakes, funny bits, bits where we just argue incessantly and things like that. So how else can people find us? They can find our website at storiesofstrangeness.com. If anyone out there wants to get in touch with us to send us any stories that you might like us to read out, you can send us an email. Storiesofstrangeness at gmail.com. If you would like to do some mild stalking, you can find us on Facebook. We have a group and a page. Page is facebook.com slash storiesofstrangeness and there is a join group button directly there. Yeah, we try to post questions and you can ask us questions too. If you would like to follow us on Instagram. We are at Stories of Strangeness. And you can follow us on Twitter. At So Strange Pod. I mean, Mike does the tweeting. I do not tweet. I don't do much tweeting at the minute. But if anybody gets in touch, then I'll start. That's nice. You're lovely. Yeah. And if you would like to look at any beautiful illustrations that we have done previously. I'm not quite sure what you're going to draw for this one, love. We do have a... Just a big foot. Yeah, just yeah. a big foot. Just a really big foot with big, yeah, <laughs> massive toes. Take a um, photo of my own foot and blow it up in Photoshop. Please don't. Oh. That's, oh, vomit worthy. No <laughs> offence, love. but So that's our Redbubble account. You can have a look at some pictures we've drawn. Uh, you can also buy those pictures on random things, like a pair of socks with big feet on. That'd be amazing. That'd be quite good, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's Redbubble. Yeah. And you can find us there. Search for... Zoe, Zoe and, and Mike. Mike. So, after all of that, all that's left to do is say... If you find any big lumps of poo in the woods, get it analysed in case it's Bigfoot poo. That's not what we were going to say. Is it not? Don't pick up poo in the woods. Or hair. Oh my God. Please don't go into the woods and pick up poo and hair. Use gloves. And bags. <laughs> Bags. Oh yeah, like little baggies for putting it in. You're not just going to walk. Uh, you're not just going to walk along with gloves with a big pile of poo. Going right. I can only drive with one hand. So you're going to have to I change mean, gears. A minute ago, before you suggested gloves, were you just imagining people were going to go out into the woods, find a pile of poo, and stick the hand in it? It's not the weirdest thing I've heard of. Oh my god! I think we need to stop now. Okay. Okay. So thank you. If you've got this far, thank you so much. I'm not even sure I'm going to make it this far. <laughs> and um, go check out our back catalogue, because we have one now. So all that remains to say is goodbye from me. Goodbye. From Zoe. Bye. And from Bigfoot. <laughs> that was a Wookiee. Well, they're similar. <laughs> oh, blimey, love. Hang on. We haven't said goodbye yet. Bye. Love you. Thank mm-hmm. you.